Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Good morning, church. Who's in the room? How are you? Hey, so good to see you. If you are not here in person, we're missing you. And if you are here for the first time, which happens all the time, or if you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Chad. I am the lead pastor of the church, and I have the pleasure of doing so. Been here just over one year, seeing God doing some amazing things. Amen? Amen. But he has a lot more to do, does he not? He does. So he's working in all of us by his grace. Hey, if you are here for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, this is actually a great week to be here because we're starting a brand new series. I just spent seven weeks talking about habits, and some of you are relieved, like seriously, quit talking about my bad habits already. Now we're done with that. Um, hopefully you have some good habits that you've replaced some bad habits, and now you're, you're kind of doing those things. But in this series, I really sense that God is going to free us from things, some things that hold us back relationally. And what I've been praying about specifically is in this series of like what it is that what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a Christian in relation to one another. Now you may have looked at your info card and you saw the thing that says bury the hatchet and you're like, okay, I think I know what that means. You know, so I just want to clear it up. Some of you don't know what that means. So if you were to do a, a quick search in something that says bury the hatchet. One of the first things you're going to see is the slang usage of that term, bury the hatchet. And the slang usage means this, like when you go in to see a surgeon and he performs the surgery, but then accidentally sews you up with some stuff left inside you that ain't supposed to be there. And that's just Dr. Jones burying the hatchet, I guess. I don't know what that means. It's like, where are the forceps? I'm not really sure. Maybe it's in there. I don't know. But if you look at that up, that's one of the slang terms. That's not where we're going to go with this. And this... The term bury the hatchet is actually an old Native American message or statement that they would make one tribe to the other when there was a sense of animosity amongst tribes or tribes people. And they literally would take a hatchet and they would bury that hatchet as a symbolism of saying, hey, we're, we're over it. We have now we have a time of peace. So my hope for you is not that you'd feel threatened by me swinging this around, which I might do during the series, but that you would have that sense of peace, a peace that's not, not rated, not, excuse me, not based upon Native American folklore, but upon the Word of God. Amen? So, but in order for us to do that, I think we have to kind of wrestle with the reality is sometimes we bury the hatchet and we move beyond those the relational strains and we seek forgiveness and reconciliation. And then sometimes what we try to do is we just try and put that right there just in case we may need it later. See, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we don't bury it. We don't put it all the way down. We just have it right there handy just in case. What we're going to see over these next three weeks is for us not to just have it there just in case, but for us to move that into truly, biblically, theologically, spirit-driven reconciliation and forgiveness to bury the hatchet, move on, and have better relational lives. Who's in for that? Raise your hand and say amen. All right, that's where we're headed. For us to get there and to have this sense of peace and not just some sort of 
you know, uh, therapy session through the Word of God and some Native American folklore. We need to get into the Bible, but we need to ask hard questions. One of the hard questions that I want us to start with this morning is this. How should a follower of Jesus treat other followers of Jesus after they've been hurt by them? How should a follower of Jesus treat another follower of Jesus who's been hurt by them? You see, we expect people who aren't followers of Jesus to act in a certain way, but yet my expectation, if you're in Christ, your expectation is that if you're in Christ, then the way that you relate to other people is different and also when they do something that is maybe not right, maybe it's, you would consider that a hurt. So how should a follower of Jesus treat other followers of Jesus Now we're talking about inside talk, and if you're not an insider into the church and you haven't given your life to Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here, that you took a chance on Calvary. I know you're going to have some amazing things that you can take home today, but we as Christians, we believe that the the Word of God is is really the, the whole book and instruction for the Christian life. We just believe this. We believe this all the way down into the deep parts of us. So how should a follower of Jesus treat other followers of Jesus after they've been hurt by them? Because this is really, if we were to boil it all down, this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Because I can guarantee you there's going to be a time in the history of of me being your pastor, I'm going to say something or you're going to say something to me and we're going to offend one another. And even if it's intentionally or unintentionally, I just know it. There's been a time where you have offended somebody else in the room and somebody else in the room has offended you. Or maybe there's been a time where you've offended somebody who's not in the room anymore Or they offended you and they're gone and you're still here. You see, that's the thing that's common with all of us. We all go through life with hurts. We all do. And even if we are not trying to, sometimes we do things and we say things to people that actually wounds them. The book of Philemon, the letter of Philemon, really a postcard of Philemon, in the New Testament is a very practical example of really three individuals reconciling, using gospel-driven, biblically-informed reconciliation within a relationship when people have been hurt. You see, a godly friend lifts you up when you need encouragement, and a friend holds you down when you want to run. A godly friend lifts you up when you need encouragement. They see you, and they know you, and they encourage you when they see you dipping down, and you need an encouragement And also the same friend is one who holds you up when you want to run, when you want to stray, when you want to alleviate the pain, when you want to run away from relationships, when you are sick and tired of people hurting you and you want to run, a godly friend stands in the gap of where you are and where you're trying to run to to say, hey, no, brother or sister, that's not the right thing. That's not the right thing. You just need to stay. You need to trust God. Don't run away from him. Don't run away from her. Don't run away from that situation. Because if you run away from him or her or that situation, you may actually be running away from God. And and, and brother and sister, you don't want to do that. Barry the Hatchet was, the idea of this this whole series is birthed months ago. And as you go into Philemon now, into the New Testament, I'll give you some other details about it. You can start all the way to the right in the New Testament. There's probably one page in your Bible that it's Philemon. So if you start in the right in your Bible, you're going to see Revelation. You're going to go through. You're going to see 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Those are only a couple pages. Keep tracking on. There's Hebrews that's a longer 
longer letter. And then probably the page right before Hebrews starts is where we're going to be in Philemon. And I invite you to open up to, to the postcard, really, of Philemon. But this series was birthed several months ago, and I, I just, through my reading, I was overwhelmed with just how these three individuals that we're going to see in this writing, how they sought reconciliation, really how one brother, Paul, set, he, he was so set on helping Philemon, who was a slave owner, and Onesimus, who was a runaway slave, for them to be reconciled. He was so bent on how do we bring these two people together because it seems like they're just so far apart. It's like he's a runaway slave in Onesimus. And, 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 and as the story goes, Onesimus went off to Rome where Paul was. And Onesimus, runaway slave, gets saved maybe under Paul's direct ministry. And now Paul tells Onesimus, he says, you need to go back to go talk to Philemon. You need to go back to the slave owner. You need to go make it right. So then before Onesimus comes back, Paul sends a letter to Philemon. He says, whoa, whoa, I just want you to know. I just want you to know. Something crazy is about to happen. Remember Onesimus? Yeah, he was here with me. He's a pretty good dude. He was kind of scattered at first. He wasn't a Christian. He was like running away from something, you or someone. But now he gave his life to Christ and he wants to make amends. He wants his life to be made right. He's like, so I'm sending you this letter before he gets there because when he gets there, I want and I hope that your heart is right to receive him when he gets there. See, the apostle Paul is standing in the gap between these, these two men. And he says, I just, I just want you guys to be well. The apostle Paul doesn't twist Philemon's arm. He doesn't, he doesn't manipulate him. He simply informs him of the gospel that binds them all together. These are things that I was overwhelmed with several months ago when I was looking at this letter. I was like, how could we not go into this? With the church that's growing and people coming into it and people who've never been in church before coming in, they need to see relationships right. People who were a part of this church coming back into this church, people who've been here the whole time. It's like, how is it that, that we are going to move forward by grace? And it's like, I was so reminded when I looked at this, this little postcard, I was like, this is the biblical example of what reconciliation looks like. We have to go into this. We have to go into this. And I was not thinking of one individual when, when I was writing these sermons. Instead, I was thinking of the potential that God has for us as a group. Because I believe if we get this right, just as what Nate was talking about, the whole world, the whole county, the whole city, your city, will know us by the love that we have for one another. We have three main takeaways, and I'm not going to spend equal time on them, but we have three main takeaways, and as we go into Philemon, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, and then next week, we're going to look at 8 through 16, and then 16 through 25 in week 3. But because I'm preaching, I should probably get there too, I guess. Here we are, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippos, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Again, three just points to outline this passage. Verses 1 through 3. I want you to know what, what Paul is doing is he's planning the return of Onesimus to see Philemon. He's planning the return. Notice he says, Paul, he's identifying himself as the writer, and it's different in the way that we would write it. In, in this country, we would say, dear such and such, but Paul addresses, he's like, in, in the structure of the letter in the ancient times, he's like, this is who it's from. It's from, it's from me, it's from us. He says, it's Paul and Timothy. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. It's more so meant that Paul wrote it, but Timothy was there. It's kind of a customary addition. It isn't that they sat down and scripted this together. Most scholars believe that it was Paul who penned this. But that Timothy was, was his protege at the time, maybe, and he was helping him with ministry, so he just associates him by name. You see now who it's written to, to Philemon. Notice the terminology here. This is so important. He says, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia, our sister, Apphia is believed to be Philemon's wife. This is key. And to, to Archippos, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in their home, Archippos is believed to be not just a fellow soldier, not just a fellow believer, but it's believed to be Philemon's son. So you may be looking at this and saying, well, pastor, I, I, I get it. All right, so there are some names there. That's neat. Like, maybe you want to name your child Apphia. Good luck with that spelling. Um, kindergarten's probably going to be hard. I'm just saying. You can do it, though. Archipos, I get that one, too. You may want to just go with the phonetic uh, way of writing that, not the way that it is in Greek. But, uh, but there's so much here. Because when, when you look at just the introduction to this letter, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he is planning the return of Onesimus back to Philemon and Philemon's house and the church that's meeting in Philemon's house in a place called Colossae. So not only is this reconciliation effort just a way for, for these three brothers to make amends and for them to have reconciliation, instead what the Apostle Paul is doing, he's trying to be uh, he's trying to work ahead of time to try and prepare not only Philemon, but also Philemon's wife and Philemon's son and the house for his return because he knows if there's truly to be a gospel-driven reconciliation, it's not just one brother to another. It's to reconcile Onesimus back into the family of God. You see, 
Philemon could just bring him back and say, wow, I'm so, I'm so glad you're back, and now we need to figure out what the future looks like. But instead, the Apostle Paul is thinking so much bigger and so much grander than that. Instead, what he says is he makes this letter out, and he names these people by, by name because the church is meeting in their house, and he knows the only way the Philemon, or, the Philemon and Onesimus are going to be united is if Onesimus is welcomed back in his house and also in the church that meets in his house. Sometimes when we get in a matter of, of reconciliation, we only think, we think very binary, one individual, one individual. We don't think about the ramifications if this person is, is going to have reconciliation, that also means that they need to be reconciled back into the family of God. Because it isn't just binary. It isn't just one individual and one individual. Because when someone comes into the family of God, it's our job as Christians within the church to assimilate them into the family of God. Because they can come into this space and they can still feel like outsiders and we can be doing it because we're on the inside. That's not the way that the Word of God, in specifically in the New Testament, is to be lived out. That's not the biblical way to live. That's not the Christian ethos. Instead, it's what you see here. You see that the Apostle Paul is planning for Onesimus' return. And he's prepping Philemon. He's prepping Apphia. He's prepping Archippos. And he's prepping the church that's meeting in his home in Colossae. He's saying, everyone, be ready. Plan for the return. Because I don't know what you've heard about this person, but they're coming back. And when when he comes back, when she comes back, I want you to give them a hopeful and joyous return. It's a beautiful thing when you look at this, as the Bible lines this out. There's another passage of scripture, it's just kind of a connecting scripture to Archippos, the, the son of Philemon, believed to be the son of Philemon. In Colossians 4.17, the Apostle Paul also goes to him by name, and this is what it says. Tell Archippos, see to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. So now, as the, the letter to the church in Colossae, whether it's, it's in that home or if it's not in that home, I'm not really sure, but they all knew one another. And now the Apostle Paul in another letter in the Bible mentions Archippos. All this to say that there's, when Onesimus would come in, there's so many layers of that network. It isn't just one individual. Because if Onesimus comes back, he must be welcomed by the entire household and the household of God. He must be welcomed by the entire household, the household of God. Notice also, there's no throwaway lines in the Bible, by the way. Look at verse 3, if you would. Although this is a typical greeting at the beginning of one of the New Testament letters, there are no throwaway lines in the Bible. There's no, there's, I guarantee you the Apostle Paul wasn't just scratching his head, wondering, is like, I don't know, I just need a filler here. I just feel like I need to make a smooth transition. Like, I've got two really big ideas, and and I want this to flow well. Do I get creative? No. Do I go simple? I don't know. He never did that. He never never went through under the power of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, scratching his head as to what he was supposed to say. 
the Holy Spirit gave him the words that he meant to say. And these next words in verse 3 are key also to understanding all of this throughout this whole series. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is telling Philemon is this. This is not something you can do within yourself. You are not going to to have true reconciliation. You're not going to have true forgiveness. You're not going to have Onesimus come back into your life and into life, into your household, into the church that meets in your home. If you try to do this under your own power. That is so foolish of Christians today to not operate under the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit to try and reconcile our differences, but for us to go out and to try and, to try and reconcile differences on our own. What the Apostle Paul is saying in verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, it's going to take the grace of God for this to happen. It's going, to have, it's going to be the peace that transcends all understanding working in and through you that's going to cause this to happen. This isn't just you mustering up the, the courage to deal with Onesimus when he gets here or differences that you and I may have in our lives. It's a work of God. It's a work of God. Look in verse 4 and you're going to see this. It's, it's rooted in a shared relationship in Christ. Verse 4 and 5 We'll read through verse, yeah, we'll just read through verse 5 at this point. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Notice he says, I thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith and your love for all the saints. He's identifying that there's a shared relationship that Christians have with one another. That at one time we were not family, but now we are family. We are the family of God. So our conduct is not rooted in ourselves because it was Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus that actually brings people into the family of God. So our shared relationship one to the other is rooted in Him. And notice how Paul commends Philemon. He says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Notice what he says in verse 6 and 7. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. You know, as a pastor who's served faithfully in three different churches over the last 18 years or so, I can tell you, like now more than ever, when I read scriptures like this and I see the family of God operating as the family of God, seeking reconciliation, seeking forgiveness, willing to bury the hatchet, if you will, willing to to put our differences aside for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the fact that we are family, when I see these things, and now more than ever, now I'm just so deeply convicted and sure that this needs to be the course of action for us today. 
Because when I, when I look at these scriptures, I'm so reminded of fresh and years of ministry and seeing people get it, get it right and some people get it wrong. And now I'm so burdened that we do indeed get it right. That we look past the things that would divide us. Instead, we seek Jesus who unites us. Because we can, we can live with all of our differences. We can see all of our differences. I can actually appreciate the different perspectives that you bring. If I first know that, that we are rooted in Christ and we have a shared relationship in Christ. If you're taking notes, that's the second thing. That we see from this passage, he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. But here's what I found. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. Here's what I mean. I can accept you as a person without approving of everything you do. I was reminded of this a couple days ago. Marlon and I went to go see a movie, which I highly recommend for all of you, named Jesus Revolution. And that is such a great story, a true story about, uh, about really three giant men of faith and what God did in the, in the midst of them. And there have been three fantastic movements of God that were birthed out of what God was doing at the time. And it was a pastor by the name of Chuck Smith. He's the the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, and he, he was at this, this church, and it was just kind of church as normal. It was starchy, and the way it's portrayed in the movie is the church was dead. The, the, the church was dead, but they didn't know it because they were trying, there were some people in there trying to hold on to tradition, and they were unwilling to budge even if it meant that they would have to change to reach the people around them, and the people around them portrayed in the movie are the hippies. And then ha- and, and there's this interaction that Chuck Smith has with kind of the leader of, of these Jesus hippies. They love Jesus, but they need a disciple. And although it took, it took some, some struggle there and it took some trust there and trusting before, they were prob- before it was even earned. And allowing the, the leader of that movement then to come into Chuck Smith's church. And there was some struggle there that portrayed this in the movie. And it birthed another movement called the Vineyard Movement. But God moved in in the middle of this. And it was an excellent portrayal of acceptance doesn't mean approval. Because when Chuck Smith allowed them to come in, he invited them to come into the church. And he said that the doors were always open. They come in in the messiest form. Welcoming those who'd been strung out on drugs, probably still high when they were in there. No shoes on, half clothed. But they came in with the Bible and they came in an appetite for wanting to know what the truth was. You see, acceptance doesn't mean approval, those are two different words. You can accept everyone for who they are without approving of everything they do. I can accept you as a person without approving of everything you do. Though this is not true outside of the church these days, it must be true inside the church. It must be. 
Because if we are going to be shining the light of Jesus Christ, we are the ones that the world needs to see getting it right. Because we are the ones who are the the caretaker of truth in our day. We are the ones who are living out the gospel, and we are the ones as the church are going to be known by the love that we have for one another. So we have to get over our petty differences to recognize that we are human beings made in the image of God. Every person, no matter how they come into this church, strung out, cleaned up, or somewhere in between, everyone who comes into this church or into our lives is worthy of dignity, respect, and they all have value to God. Therefore, they are valued to us. You can accept everyone for who they are without approving of everything they do. We have to get this right. We have to. I believe there's so much of an expectation biblically that we would get this right in our day. Again, to keep the light of Jesus shining. You see, the gospel teaches us this as well. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all who have been united with Christ in in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Another way of saying all of the things that would have divided us before Although they may still exist, but they're not as important than the relationship that we have in Christ. Because our relationship we have in Christ brings us together as family, first and foremost. It doesn't take away ethnicity. It doesn't take away the the color of your skin. It doesn't take away the way that you were raised. It doesn't take away the fact that you're maybe that you're middle class, that you have a lot of money, or you don't have a lot of money. It doesn't take away your backstory. It just means we're not we're not going to write you off because any of those things. If you're in Christ, you're in the family. Period. Or as kids would say, period. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If I could summarize it, I just summarize it by saying this. The gospel is for all. All. Let's zone in on this a little bit. That's like 10,000 feet. Let's get a little bit. Let's hover right over earth and let's just narrow down. This, the gospel is for the down and outers, the runaway slaves, the prodigal sons and daughters, the self-righteous renegades, and the doubting believers. Maybe I didn't describe you, but maybe I'll get you next week. I'm not sure. If the gospel is for all, as, as I believe that it is for all, and the Bible says it is for all, That also means that the gospel dismantles the divisiveness of our personal differences and reassembles them with spirit-filled oneness. It dismantles the divisiveness of personal differences. I like this, I like that. I see the world through this narrow lens. Well, I'm sorry, I see the, the world through this narrow lens. 
If we are gospel people and the Bible compels us, Christ compels us, the Holy Spirit compels us to be gospel people, it dismantles the differences that are personal to us and at the same time reassembles us with spirit-filled oneness. This is the grace and peace message the Apostle Paul was talking about in verse 3. This is what the Apostle Paul is, is trying to help Philemon to understand. And Philemon's wife and son in the church. That acceptance is a really big deal. Forgiveness is a really big deal. How we treat one another is a really big deal. And I just have a hunch that the Apostle Paul, when he's writing this, he's writing this because I think he and I are a lot alike. Now, he's much more spiritually long. I'm not saying that, but I just like, when I look at his temperament, he's very much to the point, black and white, kind of like drill down. That's kind of me. And, and if I were writing this, I would be like, I would be biting at the bit. Sorry to use an analogy from last week's message about a bit from a horse, but it's like, I'd be biting at the bit. I'd been like, oh my goodness, I really want to say this. I really want to say this. But I just believe that the Spirit of God, it took his personality and it toned his personality down to make sure that the message could be heard in a loving and respectful way. What else can we see? Verse 6 and 7. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Again, the third point in the outline is this. He has a reputation of refreshing others. He has a reputation for refreshing others. Philemon already has a reputation for refreshing others. There's a, a mention here in verse 6. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. That's a common New Testament word. And the New Testament word is kononia. It's used 18 times in the New Testament in this sense. And it means the, the act of sharing and the activities or privileges of an intimate association or group. It's participating within the fellowship. N.T. Wright said it in this way. He says the idea we need to grasp and the theme that dominates the letter is that in Christ, Christians not only belong to one another, but actually become mutually identified, truly rejoicing with the happy and genuinely reaping, weeping, excuse me, with the sad. Which, of course, this is just an echo of what the Apostle Paul also said in Romans 12. 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. All part of koinonia, all part of this sharing of the fellowship, all part of refreshing one another as Philemon was known as a man who refreshed others. You see, the life of Philemon was a testimony of the good news of Jesus Christ. Before Onesimus even came back. He was already known as being this type of man. My question for you is, how will you be remembered? How will you be remembered? And if you 
you sit in some silence and allow the Spirit of God to show you how you'd be remembered? If you don't like the answer, live in such a way to get a better answer. The Word of God is so rich and is so true. Paul considered Philemon a friend and a brother in Christ. I love what one author said about a friend. He said, a friend is one who never gets in the way except when you're on the way down. A friend is one who never gets in the way except when you're on your way down. I had a co-worker who was a friend for a long time. Would call himself a brother in Christ. Served alongside of him, cried alongside of him. Years together. Only to find out that he was wounding me. He was trying to wound my marriage. He was trying to plant seeds of doubt. He was trying to take away my future. He was trying to get in the way of all that God was doing in my life. That mattered. If that's ever happened to you, that matters. To say it doesn't matter would be like lying to yourself and lying to God. You see, the way that he was operating in those days, and our, 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 I've forgiven him, but our, our relationship hasn't been reconciled. But I've forgiven him. See, he wasn't a friend to me like I thought he was. Because he was in my way. In the way of all the good things that God was doing in my life. And a friend is one who never gets in the way. Except when we're on our way down. I love how powerful this passage is because as you see this in fulfillment... You see the Apostle Paul's love and care for Onesimus. And the Apostle Paul's love and care for Philemon. And for Philemon's wife. For Philemon's son. For the church that's meeting in their home. You see his burden and his care to just bring people together. That's what a friend does. That's what a friend does. Doesn't get in the way unless you're on your way down. And the Apostle Paul, I believe, and just the point of this letter is he believes that Philemon and, and that church could go one of two ways. They could either have reconciliation or they could just write Onesimus off and just think of all the damage that would do. But as you stand now, if we're honest, that's really the option we have, isn't it? When somebody's done something wrong to us, we, we always have that option. Steps towards forgiveness, steps towards reconciliation. 
distance. Keeping them away. While they're away, we could gossip about them. We could slander their name. After all, they're not here. They're not around. We could, we could wish ill things for that person. But my question is this. Is that what Jesus did? Somebody tell me. Is that what Jesus did? So is that what we should do? So instead, what we ought to do is we ought to be someone like the Apostle Paul who's willing to stand in a gap in between two friends to see that reconciliation happens as much as it depends on him. As we continue with our time of altar ministry, I just, maybe for you, maybe you have some things against a brother or sister and maybe that's what you need to pray about. Maybe it's not even you. Maybe you're in a situation where you see maybe groups of your family, they're divided. Maybe it's two it's two different people and you feel like you're in the middle and maybe you need to be the Apostle Paul. Maybe we just need to spend the rest of our time together this morning praying, asking God for step one of wherever it is that we are. Whatever it is that we're in the middle of so that we can be Jesus with skin on. Would you pray?